This is Founders Talk, an interview podcast hosted by me, Adam Stachowiak, and we profile founders building businesses online as well as offline. And if you found this show on iTunes, we're also on the web at 5by5.tv slash Founders Talk. And if you're on Twitter, follow Founders Talk as well as me, Adam Stack. I want to thank today's sponsors, Less Accounting and Flow from MetaLab. Less Accounting was built for people that hate bookkeeping and accounting software. Less Accounting automates many tasks you'd normally be doing manually, which saves you stress and saves you less gray hair. So, in reality, Less Accounting will not only help you with your bookkeeping needs, you'll also save your hairline. And that's kind of cool. Give Less Accounting a try today at lessaccounting.com. And by Flow. When the world's top teams want to get something done, they turn to Flow from MetaLab. Flow lets you create, organize, discuss, and accomplish tasks with anyone, anytime, from anywhere. Flow's critically acclaimed web, desktop, and mobile clients have revolutionized the way teams are getting things done. Get started today with a free 14-day trial at GetFlow.com. And today's guest is Francisco Dow, the founder of 50 Kings. Enjoy the show. I'm joined today by Francisco Dow. Francisco is the founder of 50 Kings. And Francisco, honestly, you could do a much better introduction of what 50 Kings is about, which we'll do here in just a moment. But um, you were referred to me by a good friend of mine, Erica O'Grady, here in Houston. And I thank her for the connection. And you're a fun person to talk to. We've had a couple of conversations already, but uh, thanks for joining me on the show today. So please say hello. Hi, thanks for having me. So Francisco, I guess for the uninitiated on who you are and what you do, who who are you in, in a nutshell? Um, in a nutshell, it would take me about 30 minutes to, <laughs> to explain who I am. Um, I am. I am a career entrepreneur, although I really hate using the word entrepreneur anymore, word anymore because I think it's been hijacked. So uh, you know, everybody with a landing page these days is an entrepreneur. I've I've started several businesses. I'm 41 years old, um, right out of college. Uh, you know, when I was 25, 26, I guess I was 27. When I was probably 27, I owned one of the biggest traffic schools in the state of California. Had like 70 employees. Before that, I owned part of a limousine company. Um, when I was 30, I raised some seed money to for an outsourcing business to build software in India. That was a disaster. When I was 32, I decided I was going to be a stand-up comic. When I was 34, I decided I was going to be a speaker. I became a leadership columnist for, for Inc. Magazine, or well, the website, Inc.com. This is before everybody was a contributor. Um, so, yeah, I'm just scratching the surface. Now I run 50 Kings. <laughs> so, wow. I mean, let's let's go back to some of these earlier adventures. And, and I know that 50 Kings does some really fun adventures, which kind of might dovetail into part of our conversation later on. But stand-up comedy, traffic school, I mean, what uh, were you just trying things out? Well, remember, this is more or less pre-internet. I mean, you know, uh, technically not pre-internet, but for the general public, pre-internet, right? right? So I started my traffic school business and. I guess, 96. I mean, again, I know the internet was just getting started, but not for a non-technical guy like me. You know, the internet for me started in 99. Right, yeah, so, that's me. I think around 2001 was was uh, the internet for me. Right, so, um, you know, you, you didn't... Actually, this this dovetail, dovetails into something that I, t- I tell people all the time. And, and I'm pro-internet. Um, you know, I, I live in a technology world now and I get it, but I meet people all the time and they they say, oh, you know, I'm thinking about starting this and this and this online or this and this and this online. 
And I actually, it's funny because I'll look at them and I'll say, okay, well, that's okay, but why does it have to be online? Why can't you start some other kind of business? And I will actually have people look at me like I'm crazy for a second. <laughs> they'll look and they'll think, well, everything's huh? online now. Yeah. Why would it and be I'll online? Say, right. And I'll like, say, look, I said, if you can build it online and it's great and it's a good business, knock yourself out. But, you know, you, you woke up and you drove a car. That car wasn't a dot com. <laughs> you went to the store and bought stuff. Like, 90%, I don't know what percent, but some, the vast majority of the world still exists in the physical world. And, and when you live in a technology world, when you live in the, the, the tech crunch bubble, you lose sight of that. And people think, you know, oh, well, an entrepreneur builds a .com. No, not necessarily. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's and, – and in terms of um, – and I don't mean to be critical of techno, uh, technology entrepreneurs. Again, it's the world that I live in and I have tremendous respect for them. But it's funny to me how a lot of technology entrepreneurs will look down on brick-and-mortar entrepreneurs. And I just think, you know what? The guy who opened that yogurt shop. Oh, that's the hard job there. Yeah. I mean, he's Inventory got employees. $500,000 in committed capital in, in that yogurt shop or hamburger joint or whatever yeah. it is. Like, don't, don't talk to me about risk, taking risk and gambling. Dave McClure gave you hundred grand. You, you didn't take any risk. <laughs> You know, You're doing with somebody else's money. Dude. Yeah, not compared to the guy who opened the burger joint. Yeah. So that's funny you say, you know, online versus offline, that kind of thing, because uh, part of the, the key phrase for this podcast is actually profiling founders who build something online as well as offline. Because part of what I wanted to do with this show, and, and the track history of this show might not reflect this, but I, I hope that one day I can actually talk to more offline businesses because I think there's something truly lost in in the. I guess in the transition from online to offline, I think there's a, a very fun conversation to be had because there's a lot of adventures that don't have to be tech related. I, I think you're, you're right. I mean, I, I you know, like I said, I'm not when I when I point out the offline world, it's not to insult the online world, but it's really to say, look, you know, expand your horizons. You know, there's there's more to it than this. I mean. I don't have a lot of heroes. I don't, you know, I don't get starstruck. I can meet famous people. No big deal. You're an actor, whatever. But I, I so in general, I'm I'm not a fanboy of anybody. But I am a fanboy. I will actually admit that I'm a fanboy of Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Why? Okay. So Elon made quote unquote easy money. I mean, there's no such thing as easy money, but he made relatively easy money from uh, Zip2, from PayPal, and then now he's making hard money. Right, he's trying to launch rockets. He's building electric cars. Yeah, is anybody sitting there going, "Oh, e- Elon Musk isn't working on the internet anymore. He's lame." Right. <laughs> no, Elon Musk. The fact that Elon Musk isn't working on the internet anymore makes him super cool. Well, what else is there to build on the internet these days? I mean, the next Twitter, Facebook, or I mean, what would be revolutionary? The Kiva was something that's pretty revolutionary. I actually work for a company that's. Not up to Kiva vein, but we're doing something to to build a global platform of change for raising money for nonprofit organizations and real projects that change real lives and impact people's lives in ways that we've never seen possible before. But I mean, what what is lost these days in the internet with being an entrepreneur and doing something revolutionary? Well, I, I you know, I, I think in the world of the internet, revolutionary doesn't okay. So I think Kiva's an amazing thing. Um, and I know Premal a little bit. He's, he's coming to a dinner I'm hosting. Like, awesome dude. Um, and Kiva's great. But you think about, say, 
an enterprise, a supply chain company. Right? A supply chain company probably isn't going to get written up in TechCrunch. It's probably not run by quote-unquote cool kids. Right. You probably don't hear the supply chain founder speaking at a whole lot of conferences. But a supply chain company, if done right, if, you know, if it actually makes the supply chain more efficient, lowers the cost of goods, of, of all kinds of goods. Right. Yeah. So I go to Walmart and things are ludicrously cheap. Because somebody wrote some supply chain software that I'm sure runs on the internet, mm-hmm. right? That that allows me to buy things for oh yeah, my V uh, not VCR, my DVD player got started skipping. I ordered a new one, high def Sony. It was forty dollars. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I mean, I, you know, it, I'm 41 years old. I remember when a CD player was 500. Yeah, you know a DVD HD high, de- you know. So, and I'm not saying that supply chain is the only thing that brought that cost down, but you you build it. I'm just using it as an example. You build a company that streamlines supply chain that that result in you know a 10 percent or 20 percent lower cost of end good and you know the end product. How much bigger of a difference to the world is that than you know a, another photo sharing app? Yeah. How many you how know, many more do we need? I mean it, it might not be sexy, but you know, it's kind of a big deal. So speaking of a big deal, uh I hear that fifty kings actually is a pretty big deal. It's something that uh kind of zooms into the more forefront of, of today's world. We talked about you being twenty seven and uh starting a traffic school and you know, kinda getting into stand up comedy and raising money at thirty and a bunch of other fun stuff and obviously some of your opinions on being an entrepreneur and offline versus online and stuff, but 50 Kings, I mean, where did this start? What is 50 Kings? Um, the way to describe it is actually to, to tell you where it started. So I used to produce a large conference, you know, 500 people, people on stage talking, people sitting in an audience listening. And I realized, you know, we did some attendee surveys and things, and I realized that anyone who was even remotely legitimate wasn't there to listen to the people on stage. And I would always work really hard. So, I mean, I had Peter Goober, who's now the owner of the Golden State Warriors, and, you know, Paul Graham, a white combinator, and Richard, you know, just, I always worked real. So, let's back up for one second. First of all, I think there are too many conferences, and most of them have horrible speaker lineups. So, even when I ran a regular conference, I thought, you know what, I'm going to have a good speaker lineup. So, I worked really hard, as I said, to get these, these great speakers, and we'd, st- we'd have this conference, it would go well, everyone seemed happy, we'd do an attendee survey, and the number one answer people would say is they wanted more networking. And I would sit there and I would think, well, wait a minute. You know, I brought Paul Graham to LA, which is unheard of. It's, it hadn't been done before. I don't think it's been done again. You know, I brought, again, Peter Goober, who was chairman of Sony Pictures and now owns the Golden State Warriors, you know, sharing this stage, Richard Rosenblatt. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, and you guys want to network some more? And I sat there and I thought about it. And I realized that anyone who was even remotely legitimate really just wanted to spend time talking to other legitimate people. So instead of the world, you know, we, we go to this, really it's a fake construct. It's an excuse. So we go to these conferences with the excuse that we're going to listen to these people on stage. And I, and I don't mean disrespect to Paul Graham or, you know, Peter Goober or, or my speakers or any other speakers on any stage, but based on the attendee surveys, it's an excuse. People go to these conferences and it's an excuse when what they're really trying to do is, is build relationships with the other legitimate people in the audience. 
So from there, you know, I looked at what David Hornick of August Capital was doing with a lobby, which if the listeners are unfamiliar, or familiar, David is David Hornick is a partner at August Capital. Uh, 2007, he declared, look, no matter what conference you go to, the most interesting conversations happen in the lobby. Yeah. So he took out his Rolodex and he invited 150 of his friends and they went to Hawaii and they hung out. And I looked at that and I asked my friends who, who went to the lobby and I said, are they really just hanging out? And, uh, and they said, yeah. And I said, and it's awesome. And they said, it's amazing. <laughs> so I, I kind of set out to copy the lobby and um, except you know, David had that going. He, he was doing it his way. So I thought, okay, well, if I let people apply and, you know, I can reach some kind of different people, some interesting people, not in David's circle. And, uh, you know, there's, there's room for more than one of these. And I ended up with an event with 50 people, which is where the name 50 Kings comes from. Um, and, and David was one of them. I invited David Hornick. I told him, I said, listen, David, I'm ripping you off. So please come as my guest so people don't accuse me of ripping, ripping you off. And he did. And he had a great time. And he and I got to talking while we were at my event, this 50-person event. And he said, you know, the lobby is, is pretty big. You know, it's, it's pushing 200 and it's great. But there's a lot of flexibility and you can do some really cool adventures and things with 50 people or less that I can't do with, you know, 175 people. And, uh, and I thought, you know what, David, thank you for that. And, and you're right. And so by keeping it smaller, so the two things that, that really make it different than the lobby. And again, I pay homage to David for, for really for coming up with the original idea. I mean, I got to really say, you know, I set out to copy him originally, but it's evolved since then is, um, you know, the lobby's almost 200 people. David lets people bring plus ones. It, it's gotten pretty big. 50 Kings is 50 people or less. And with a smaller size, we're able to do some really cool things. Like last year, we, went, we did a cattle drive. You know, I booked out an entire ranch, and we went up there and we drove cattle. And, and Tim O'Reilly's on this trip, and Ben Huff Cheeseburger's on this trip, and managing editor of the Washington Post is on this trip. And we're out there playing cowboy, moving cattle. Um, you know, they can't do that at the lobby. Uh, I wonder if Tim was, uh, was thinking those I even saw in one of the articles that he was that he had said or had been quoted as saying it was a lot like food camp. And wasn't that kind of how food camp and bar camp kind of had their divide where it was exclusive and then you had this non-exclusive version of it? But he had said that he wasn't – he was thrilled that somebody can actually get together, take people to go and do a cattle drive, much like, uh, I guess, City Slickers. Yeah, and that's actually – like I said, that's one of those things is, is food camp – uh, Foo, if you're unfamiliar, stands for Friends of O'Reilly. And uh, and Tim, originally, they just invited a bunch of Friends of O'Reilly, which, again, kind of like David Hornick did. It was The lobby was Friends of David Hornick. Um, and uh, Foo Camp is run like a bar camp, so they all get together and they hang out and they have sessions. And it's also gotten a little big. Again, no disrespect. There, I think most events are lame, but, I, but Foo Camp and the lobby are two that are – if you get invited to food camp or the lobby, you should go. They're both great events, and, and I, mean, you know, I will not disparage either of those two events. Um, but food camp's grown, and it is sessions. It's, it's self-generated sessions like a bar camps, but there are sessions. Whereas 50 Kings, we're just straight moving cattle. I mean, we're just straight. No, there are no sessions. We're moving cattle. That's, that's what we did on the cattle drive. Uh, you know, later in December, just last month or two, uh, yeah, last month, we did a pirate war. You know, I booked uh, two two forty six foot catamarans in the British Virgin Islands, and we we 
battled. You know, we launched water balloons at each other and played pirate and and capture the flag with these two two yachts for five days. Now there are no sessions at Fifty Kings, and because of the adventure. You know, because of the smaller size, one, because of the smaller size, two, because the, the shared adventure, um, it, it, it really, you're, you're building a relationship um, more than anything. I, again, I, I'm, I think, well, sessions, what do you need sessions for? Yeah, I mean, because, if you're there mostly to build the relationship anyways, and like you said, it's, you're just making an excuse to go and listen to the speaker, which... I right. could probably admit to that myself. I mean, it's it's very nice, especially when you go to a good conference and get some good knowledge. But it's even better when you can meet up with good friends and have dinner afterwards, and you know, just see people you don't always always see because they're in New York or they're from Seattle or LA or or you know Miami or whatever. And you got friends all over, especially in this you know this online world as we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, as I understand that, you have some rules to this event. Though, what are the rules? Yeah, the rules. There's three rules. Um, well, there's rules to get in, which um, I do not invite uh, uh, service providers or consultants. If a service provider comes, they're sponsoring, and you know there'll be one person there. Um, so that that you know Silicon Valley Bank has sponsored before, and and you know they send two guys, and and I tell the sponsor, I say, look, you guys are just part of this, and they're great. Microsoft, same thing. Microsoft sponsored before. They come, they send two people, and they just participate because the events are you know three or four or five days long. There's no rush. You know, Microsoft isn't going to sit there with a table. There is no table because right. there's no speakers. Microsoft is going to be there moving cattle. Right? <laughs> Trying to put a table on the cattle. <laughs> right? They're going to be – Microsoft comes and they move cattle. You know, Silicon Valley Bank comes and they do – you know, they, they just participate. And, um, you know, but as far as attendees, you know, I do not invite consultants. I do not invite service providers. Um, I do not invite anyone who has something to sell. And this means turning down a lot of my friends. The, I mean, the real secret sauce is who comes and, and – you know, it it is not a comfortable thing uh, for me to tell a lot of my friends who are you know who work in PR or accounting or consulting or something else and say no, I'm sorry, you you can't come. Um, and so what happens is you get an environment that is so completely safe. Um, you know, the three rules when you're there are no selling, no snitching, everything's off the record, and no snobbery. Everybody's to be treated the same, and you know, I mean, of the three rules, I, I sometimes sit there and I think, is one rule more important than other than another? And I don't know. I mean, the, the top rule is no selling, you know, no pitching. But you know, you look at a rule like no snobbery, and I think it's so important because, uh, you know, you can. I, I'll have. I mean, I guess you can't call them entrepreneurs. Well, they are entrepreneurs. They've just exited several times. You know, I'll have I'll have <laughs> tech CEOs who are worth you know hundreds of millions of dollars, or Tim O'Reilly, or. Uh, and you know they're going to sit there and play werewolf or play cards with a first-time entrepreneur who doesn't have any money, and it doesn't matter. They're just dudes. They're just guys. And and I do invite women. Um, just, it tends to be more men than women. Um, but you know, with, with the no snobbery rule. It's so important to be able to give a first-time entrepreneur an opportunity to sit at a table with a three-exit entrepreneur and not have any weirdness there. So at what point do they get down to like having conversations and probing for questions? Is that allowed or, or what happens whenever – I mean because it's about relationships and does that kind of I guess quote-unquote newbie to the crowd feel a little pressure to like, oh, I can't ask Tim or so-and-so about such-and-such startup question or you know, do those questions get kind of muted? Yeah, I can't I – don't, I don't think – well – 
I'm not sure how to answer that, but so I will attempt, I'll attempt to answer it as best I can. Um, I don't know if those questions come up. Now, certainly, you know, the first day, first night, first two hours of any event, people say, okay, you know, hi, I'm Francisco. I'm Adam. So Adam, what do you do? I mean, there's nothing wrong with asking, what do you do? Right. Um, but they don't get into the, you know, so I'm trying to raise money. That's right. strictly prohibited. Right. So, and because again, the, the time, because you have two, three, four, five days, you're not in a rush to do that. Yeah. And so you end up just, it doesn't come up or if it does come up, it comes up naturally without it being weird for anybody. So, you know, I, I can't say for sure if anybody is sitting there, you know, feeling restricted, it doesn't seem like it. I don't, I don't think that's a problem. I mean, they knew what they were signing up for, you know, when, when, when they got the invitation, um, you know, so so they knew it and they like it and and they get it. Like I said, I don't, I don't. You know, they come back and, uh, and you know, in terms of just, I say a first time entrepreneur, uh, an entrepreneur to me is someone you, who who's got to show. It's a couple things. One, it's the only thing they do. So you know, I'll have people apply or request to come, and they're say, oh, you know, I have a day job here and I'm working on this on the side. I'm sorry, man, you're not an entrepreneur. <laughs> um, you know, oh, I got three projects. Yeah, you're not an entrepreneur. You know, you tell me you're all in. You show me you wake up and you work on one thing, and I can go to it, and it's real. You know, there's there's some kind of product site up. You know, more than a landing page. You know, yeah. all right. You know, when you're all in, that's when you're an entrepreneur. When you got stuff on the side, you're a hobbyist. Well, let's talk about the the excitement level that comes from those who do attend. And I, uh, I read an article where John Franco was there, and he, I think he had uh, been invited out. He wasn't sure if he wanted to come, and he ended up coming, but he had a, a meeting back east, and he had so much fun that he had to come back on a red eye and uh, got pulled over. It was a, a hilarious story where he just had to get back to your, your first 50 Kings event, which I believe was uh, just a televised version of of ted and that was kind of a unique thing to do in monterey california where you kind of got people together at a hotel and did the first um 50 kings and that was kind of an adventure but he had so much fun being there that uh, he had to come back what, what was that like well so to me so everything in this world is built on hype um it, it's uh, i live in la so Hot Hollywood nightclub. It's all hype. Oh, you know, Lindsay Lohan might be there. Oh, Snooki might be there. Oh, everything in this world is built on hype. And the most underrated thing in this world is comfort. And people don't know how to build things around comfort. So uh, using the, the LA analogy, people who don't know any better, which at the risk of offending a lot of people is pretty much everyone, People don't know any better come to L.A. and they think that VIP is in whatever the hot nightclub is on Sunset or Hollywood. The real VIP in L.A. is at somebody's house, right? It's, it's at Brad Pitt's house right. with five people, right? That, that's the real VIP in L.A. The real VIP L.A. is not in a nightclub. The velvet rope is in the act of actually getting the phone call or an invitation, not the person out there bouncing people or not bouncing right? people. yeah. So, Fifty Kings is really built on that, and it is so underrated. And you know, it's it's funny because 
people who come to 50 Kings, and we're talking about people who, who pay the money, who come to the event, you know, these are people who believed in it, who got it, who wrote me a check, who came to the event after the event across the board. I, I have yet to have a single person tell me that it had not, it, it did not exceed their expectations. Not a single person across the board. They were like, you know, we knew you'd get good people and we figured it'd be fun, but we didn't know it was going to be like this. You know, and they'll say this was just like just across the board. Like everything was amazing. And I'll tell them, I'll say that's because nobody understands how awesome things are when an environment is 100% safe. Nobody understands what VIP is. People get confused. I am. From time to time, I'll reach out to, to like a celebrity type of Hollywood person. And, and you got to sometimes go through their handler. And I'll get, I'll get this kind of answer. They'll say, you know, oh, well, you know, so-and-so might stop by, you know, is it for a charity? You know, they might come for like a night. And I would just tell them, no, 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 thank you. not invited. You're not invited. I say, I want people who want to be there, right? You're not that special. If you think you're the richest person in the room, you're wrong. I guarantee you you're wrong. I don't care how big of a movie star you are. You know, it's, I want people who want to be there who want to participate, who feel this is something that, where they want to be. You're not doing me favors by showing up for a night. And, and again, that is, that is me choosing comfort over hype. You know, Because I can choose hype. I can tell, yeah, yeah I'm going to send them a little Lindsay Lohan showing up. And it would wreck the event for every other person there. Because they're coming for comfort and, and relationships. Right. and They're coming for comfort. The ability to not have to be pressured either to, to, get, to have to be on that that pedestal or that platform. And a lot of people you're inviting are even humble. They even downplay who they are because they get sick of, you know, being the limelight and, and all they're doing is just, you know, following their passion and building startups and building businesses and just enjoying their life. Uh, I actually, you, what you said is exactly correct. There's a couple things is, is one, and it's not linear, but it is usually the case. The more legit someone is, the more humble they tend to be. That, that's one. Um, two, I tell people, I say 50 Kings is built for introverts and famous people. And what I mean by that is, you know, the guy who's real social and knows how to play the tech crunch game and goes to all the tweet ups, 50 Kings isn't for him. And he doesn't need it. And, well, I mean, maybe he needs it. I don't know, but it's not for him. You know, I look at, I look at, you know, engineers you know, tech CEOs who are really working on real stuff. I mean, I don't want to get into like name dropping on the call, but you know, there, there are guys who've built companies that have sold for hundreds of millions of dollars and they don't like, they're not going to tweet ups because they get pitched, right? They're not going to tweet ups because people, they don't want their autograph, but people say, Oh, you're so-and-so I have an idea. And they're like, leave me alone. Right, and when I say famous people, I don't I don't necessarily mean Hollywood people, although it could apply, but people who are in demand, right? So you know, a journalist, again, managing editor of the Washington Post, came to the cattle drive. He is famous in as much as his press pass will get him in anywhere ever and anywhere. I mean, literally, he can probably walk up to the White House and say, "I'm the managing editor of the Washington Post. Here's my credential." And B, where can he go that he's not going to get pitched? He cannot go anywhere without someone pitching him a story. So he is, for all reasonable purposes, a famous person. And to be able to create an environment where introverts and famous people can come and feel comfortable 
and and open up. See, there's a myth about introverts. People think that introverts don't talk. That's wrong. Introverts do talk. They just don't talk about stupid things to stupid people. Introverts think. So when an introvert engages in a conversation, they usually have much, much more intelligent things to say, and they want to say those things to other intelligent people. They're not talking about ridiculous things. So to be able to create an environment for introverts and famous people to open up and just be, be, again, to be comfortable, nobody understands how special that is until they come. And, and I get that all the time. Mark Nogger, who, who runs all of Startup Weekend worldwide, he was on the cattle drive. And I have a testimonial from him that I thought was great. Um, he said, 50 Kings is the difference between going somewhere and maybe meeting some good people versus going to a place and only meeting the best people. Nah. And, and, you know, it's true. C- can you meet 50 Kings attendees elsewhere? Maybe. All you know, in one you room? Enough- no. Yeah, you you go to go to other conferences and you can meet them and you can talk to them for five minutes. You know, you put in a whole lot of work and go to a lot of conferences over you know an eighteen month period. But you you might you might get a little time with each one here and there, but you don't have it like this. Well, Fifty Kings is days long <laughs> versus just a few hours long, or even a day in in a hallway right. of an obscure location. That's uh, you know you're probably hungry, want to get lunch, but in this case you're kind of you know, you're in it to win it. Once you jump on the cow and, or, or on the horse and start driving cattle, you're kind of on the boat, right? I mean, you're, so to on speak, the boat, you're, yes. you're not going exactly. anywhere. So uh, three days from now, he's still going to be to the left or right of you, maybe a little further ahead of you or behind you or whatever. But you're still in the same, for lack of better terms, the same room with the people that you came there to, to hang out with and kind of get to enjoy. So you must get your your door banged down, though. I mean, with, with the exclusivity, with its invite or... Uh, I think, what are the rules with uh, actually getting to go then? Um, well, again, I, I don't invite consultants and, and I don't – actually, here, here's another way to look at it. So 50 Kings is actually built in the exact opposite way that all other events are built. So all other events, all other conferences are built in let's go get some headliners and then we'll sell tickets to people who want to bug them essentially. Tickets to people who want to hear them, see them, get their autograph, pitch them, whatever it is. Yeah, you know, I'll go out and invite some people that I th- I feel are are interesting, of course. But then I and then but then I build the event around them. I think to myself, okay, you know, it, will this person bug Scott Bannister? And if the answer is yes, that person's not getting invited. Will this person bug Raju Narasetti? If the answer is yes, then that person's not getting invited. So instead of being built, you know, sort of with a bunch of people who are trying to get at your headliner, I actually build it for the headliner. Right? And, and so it's just it's a complete reverse. I mean, it's it's not just different, it is the opposite. I mean it's you know, so um, who gets to go? Again, people who do real things. Um, you know, a social media consultant, no, sorry. A financial planner, no, sorry. It's a life coach, no, sorry. And I, I actually, at one point in my varied life, actually made a living as a life coach, and I'm kind of embarrassed <laughs> by that. Um, you know, so I do get inquiries all the time. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's one way to answer it is 
people are confused about what constitutes VIP. And I know I sound like a total elitist and a total snob, but you know, being I'm, I'm big on Twitter doesn't make you a VIP. You know, doing something legitimate, something tangible, then all that makes you legitimate and tangible or a VI, AKA a VIP, if you will. Um, you know, one of I, I have a, an old man coming to this dinner I'm hosting in two weeks who was co-founder of Ampex, invented the, the, the VCR. He was uh, then co-founded a company called Prometrics, which merged with KLA 10 Core, which is a big semiconductor equipment company. You know, there's one of these companies where you drive around San Jose and you see these you know, huge buildings where, where a thousand people work. And amongst and many other things, he, you know, he donated. There, there's a there's a, a nature preserve in Half Moon Bay called Elkus Ranch that was Dick's. Dick Dick Elkus donated to the University of California in 1975. I mean, this is real Silicon Valley. This is a guy who built real companies and employed thousands of people. This isn't you know somebody who raised fifty grand and got written up on TechCrunch. You know that's. You know, I'm big on Twitter. I'm big on Twitter. Doesn't put you in the same room as Dick Elkus. I mean, you know, right. I'm just, sorry, it doesn't. So, what comes to mind for me is is um, we didn't mention. I know a little bit about your, your history, but we didn't mention it in this call yet. But uh, you had said you had ran events that were 500 people plus, and there's some even there's even some drama attached to that. We talked about Startup Summit. And I don't know how much you want to go into that or how much is even part of your story if it just dovetails into the next question, which is, why do you do it? You know, what makes you, um, you know, besides your, you know, your passion for the lobby and what that was about and the person who ran it and, and the way it was run, I mean, what provoked you to do this and, and you know, why you? Um, so as I said, originally I just set out to copy the lobby. Uh, and And when I did... The first event, which was part of the the conference that I ran, you know, the, with fifty people, and I was sitting there and just looking at the level of relationships that were being built and the interactions, and I realized that this was so much more than you know e- even a retreat. And, and one of the things I, I mentioned that people are, are just amazed or like, wow, you know, we knew it'd be good. It, we didn't know it'd be like this. You know, I think there are some fundamental human aspects to it. And that is, you know, one, I think we live in a fundamentally lonely world. And, you know, Facebook and Twitter, yeah, I use them both. They're great. They're wonderful. Thank you, Mark Zuckerberg. Thank you, uh, Jack Dorsey. But they don't, they're, 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 these are not real relationships, right? There's, these are, um, they're almost like celebrity relationships. You know, we tweet, we have people who follow us, they tweet back, we feel, you know, we get this kind of boost of, um, uh, uh, not, not serotonin, um, uh, endorphins and, and yeah, endorphins and, but they're not real. And I think we actually live in a fundamentally lonely world. And if you look at, at, you know, rites of passage and, and things like that, they, they, they've gone away. So, you know, a thousand years ago, you and I would go out and we'd go hunting and we'd, we'd kill a buffalo and we'd bring it back and our village would eat. And, you know, that process of going out and, and killing a buffalo is, you know, you and I, we, we, a, a story, a rite of passage, a, an experience, you know, we, we become blood brothers. We've even so bonded speak. for life. Yeah, we remember yeah. that experience forever. 
All right. And those things don't really exist anymore. And, and you know, we could do them with a... Well, they exist, just not in our society. Yeah, not in our society. I mean, not not day to day. I mean, I think they exist... I don't want to swerve this towards the military way, but I was in the military for a short time, and I'd spend time in Bosnia, and I've had... Uh, good friends that I'm still in contact with simply because of the life experience we had. And you have those experiences, just not in our secluded, siloed, safe, day-to-day, secular, normal, old lives. Like, you just don't go down the street, I guess, unless you're in a gang or maybe in in the ghetto or something like that. You kind of have those different experiences. But in just safe old L.A. or society, you you might not have those experiences because you're not getting shot at or ducking for cover or protecting your buddies because that's what you got to do for that brief moment. You bring up the military and it's actually it's actually another example that I use and I agree 100%. All right, you 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 know, you get shot at with with some buddies that you trained with, you're not forgetting those Mm-mm, guys. No. Right? You know, I I look at World War II or, or Vietnam or you know whatever war and I think you know, the, let's just use World War II. You know, these guys went out and, and were men, you know, were, were fighting Nazis and, and, you know, the Japanese empire and, and liberating Europe, you know, and then they returned home to Iowa or, or London or wherever they, and, you know, ran a butcher shop. Yeah. Yeah. That's my grandfather yeah. the whole way. I mean, he, when he came back, he opened up a tire shop because that was, I mean, he was a good networker. He was an entrepreneur from what I can understand it as much as you could be one back in the 30s and 50s, and he was just like, yeah, I think he was like 22 years old when he opened up his first business when he got back from the war, and it was like, you know, what do you do with that? He's like, I, I'm pretty bored with this stuff, you know. <laughs> this is boring. Yeah, so so I agree with your you know military analogy, and you know, so I think we we've lost that, you know. I think we've we've lost relationships. One of the when I when I when people apply. Or uh, when the people apply or get referred, and I talk to them on the phone, and, and every single person who comes to Fifty Kings, I talk to at least on the phone, if not in person, first. And I'll sometimes ask them this question. I'll say, you know what? Forget all this. Let me ask you a question. I say, when was the last time you took a three-day awesome vacation with five of your best friends? And a lot of people can't answer. Yeah. A lot of people say college. They'll say college, or I can't remember. Too too long to think. I mean, think about how sad that That's is. That's real sad, especially if they're, you know, worth millions even, you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah, so to be able to then have people go on this kind of once-in-a-lifetime type trip and do it with people that, you know, maybe you knew a little, some of them, but you certainly didn't know all of them, and then have this sort of rite of passage, this kind of military-like you know, or, or one of the things, if you if you listen to interviews of retired uh, ball players, like basketball players, you know, they'll ask them, they'll say, you know, Charles Barkley, do you miss playing basketball? Or no, Michael Jordan, do you miss playing basketball? And they'll all answer the same thing. They'll say, I miss the locker room. I miss the guys. They say, you know, I don't need to play hoops anymore. I can play pickup games. It's not the, the lights. They'll say, I miss the guys. Right? Because it's kind of the same thing, right? Season, 82 games or whatever, you know, sport it is. You know, they're going out, 82 games. Nine months out of the year, you know, going to war and fighting, and scratching, and then, and then nothing. And then they're retired. Yeah. <laughs> and then nothing. Um, you know, so to to be able to give, it's just that. I mean, we're not we're not. So that's your that's your motivation. That's your motive for doing this. And I think another question that comes to mind is, and we talked a little bit about your history, but not exactly about your finances. I'm not asking you to say exactly how much you got in the bank, but I mean, it must take some financial security to be able to 
pull this off? Yeah, I have none. <laughs> I have, um, this is a completely different question, but I think it's valid. I think it's a great question. Uh, I woke up, so I mentioned all these things I did. So, so I, I was, you know, entrepreneur in my twenties and, and into my thirties. And, um, you know, I, I was trying to be a stand-up comic when I was 32. And when I was 34, I, at the time I had a day job and I got laid off from my day job. And I actually just decided, I said, from now on, I'm only going to th- do things that interest me. And people looked at me and they said, well, what do you mean? You're not, you're not rich. You don't have any, you, you can't retire. So what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I said, I, all I know is I'm only going to do things that interest me from now on. And I'll tell you something really interesting about that. Is I'll tell people this. It's a true story. You know, I'll meet people. They'll say, "What do you do?" I'll say, "Whatever interests me." And everyone I meet, they'll they'll say, "Oh, that that's 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 great. I wish I could do that." And I'll actually say to them, "You can't." They'll say, "No, you know, I I got a, you know, I got my this and this and this." I said, "And I said, I I, I own a, I have a townhouse. I have a mortgage. It's you know, it's not always good. I mean, there are some hungry days, but." You know, it's it's a choice. Oh no, you know. And I say, look, you you have a six hundred dollar a month BMW payment. No, well, you know, what am I supposed to drive? And that's why you spend your days doing what you love. <laughs> right. Oh man, yeah. Well, that's that's taste. Taste kind of pushed you into, well, not them, not you, but the them pushed them into a, a world where they couldn't make those decisions. They backed themselves into a corner because of. It, it, they could be just driving that car because of vanity. Like, oh, I have to drive the BMW because. Of course it is. Yeah. Right. So, so no, um, no, I'm not. I'm not rich. Um, I, I do this because it interests me. I'm do. I, I do this because because I get to see the here. I, 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 here's why I do this. So the cattle drive. This was May 2011, end of May. Uh, we arrived Tuesday afternoon. We went on an orientation ride. You know, Wednesday we drove cattle. Thursday we drove cattle. Friday we woke up. We had breakfast. We went home. Uh, you know, two two days, two and a half days. So Friday morning we wake up. We go into the ranch kitchen. We're sitting there and having breakfast. A couple of the guys, you know, we we eat breakfast. A couple of the guys had a plane to catch. Um, they had to leave for the airport. So they come over and they tap me on the shoulder and they say, "Hey, Francisco, you know, we had an amazing time. We're going to take off." I said, "Okay, cool." And I stand up to say goodbye, and every person, you know, 30 guys, stopped eating and stood up to hug each other goodbye. And these guys, for the most part, met two and a half days ago. That's why I do it. Yeah, I notice those things. And I just think, you know what? Look, look at this. And I just stood there, and it was... It was that, uh, I don't know if you remember like your high school graduation where, you know, you, you graduate and then you're standing on the football field or the, or the, you know, gym or stadium or wherever the graduation was, you know, and you hug your friends goodbye and you don't really know what to do because it's over and you don't really know what to say. And you're like, yo man, we made it. We graduated. And then you kind of look at each other and it's like, all right, well, I'll see you this summer. You know, do you know what I'm talking right. about? Um, that's what it was. You know, I watched them for, I don't know, half an hour, basically unwilling to walk out of the ranch kitchen. Because it's so much fun and just enjoyed. Not just the fun, but the relationships, right? right? It's the experience of it all. 
you know, it's, it's, well, you don't, like it said, it's an emotion you don't get to tap into often enough in day to day life. And they're going to go, and not that they are not living unboring lives, but they're going back to run a company. They're going back to continue right. their mission. And some may even be going back to friends and family, but they, they're going to, it's like a drug right. almost, like an addiction that you miss this part of an emotional that you tap into that you're not getting anywhere else. Yeah. And, and there's no amount of money, right? Most of the people who come are, 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 wealthy and and you know i tell them i said look i can't you know i can create this for you and it's amazing to to watch and it's amazing to to get that and it's amazing for people to be like wow that was so and i i do it because i because i like it i do it because that is meaningful to me and i get to be a part of it right i mean i'm not just you know i'm not just the organizer but i participate i moved cattle i i sailed the pirate ship right Right, so it's it's something that I want. I mean, selfishly, it is something that I want. These are people that I want to spend my time with, right? So, if I want to spend my time with these kinds of people doing these kinds of things, well, then I guess I better set about creating these types of events. So, your your true motivation for doing this is is really just being a part of this and doing something that you enjoy doing i mean you said you really enjoyed these moments but you made a decision when you i think you said 34 36 34 34 to do things only that you would enjoy doing or things that you really cared about what are besides 50 kings what are some of those other things that you've done that have been things you really truly truly enjoy so i mentioned that i made my living as a life coach for a brief period of time which i am i am now embarrassed about um so when I was 34 and I said, I'm only going to do stuff I wanted to do, I thought I was going to be a motivational speaker. And so I started writing uh, some business strategy columns. I, I, I think I mentioned I wrote a leadership column for, for the Inc. INC Incorporated, Inc. Magazine website. And you know, from that, from my leadership column, from the people I met in that field, I ended up being a, a personal coach. And it... It sounds, being a personal coach sounds like it would be very fulfilling. And from time to time, I would have a client that was fulfilling for for both of us. But it's largely an exercise in frustration because people are dishonest with themselves. And and, and unlike, I believe, and again, I will probably offend a lot of people, I believe most most of the personal coaches, life coaches, and certainly the world of self-help is full of it. It's full of crap. Um... It's all based on selling pie-in-the-sky stuff. And the most important thing to me, to me personally, to, to, to people I coach, to really accomplishing things in life, is to, is to just be honest with yourself. So I'll give you an analogy, an example. To me, everything in this world is like trying to get six-pack abs, a flat stomach. Okay? Everything is like trying to get six-pack abs. Now, everybody says they want six-pack abs. Everyone says, oh, I want to be thin. I want a washboard stomach. I want six-pack abs. And truth of the matter is, is everybody in this world actually knows how to get six-pack abs. Eat less, exercise more. Certainly, there are better exercises and worse exercises, but eat less, exercise more. And certainly, there are better foods and worse foods, but you know, three hours on the internet can tell you what to eat and what exercises to do. Right, So everybody in this world knows how to get six-pack abs, yet what percentage of the people who say, I want six-pack abs, actually have them? 
A dismal percentage. A dismal percentage. Yeah. Right? So what's the problem? The problem is they don't want to do the work. <laughs> it's the right? effort the that yeah, it's the effort they have to put forward to actually get there. You want the you want the shortcut, right? the, yeah, the macro. They want the to shortcut. It. Right? The problem is they don't want to do the work. They don't want to stop eating. They don't want to go to the gym. And so they don't have six-pack abs. So they'll spend $80 on an ab roller at 2 in the morning. They'll buy ridiculous books written by people who have no background in nutrition or, or, or diet or anything about getting a body in four hours. They'll do all this ridiculous stuff because they don't want to put in the work. Right? When in reality, be honest with yourself. Do you really want the six-pack abs? And if you do, eat less, exercise more. And so that's, that's the way I run my life, and that's the way I would, would coach people. And most people didn't want to hear that. Most people wanted to hear, you can have them follow my three-step system. <laughs> right? That's what, yeah. and, and I see this in entrepreneurship. I see this everywhere. I see this. You know, there's, you, you go on Twitter on any given day and people are tweeting this ridiculous BS, you know, follow your opinion of this and my magic pill. And it's just like, oh, you got to be kidding. You're killing me. And so there, there were parts of, of coaching, which for a period of time uh, I enjoyed. And, and there were people who were able to be honest with themselves. Uh, and, and when that happened with, you know, those, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, and I have permission to use this guy's name. Uh, I, I, he's, he's in my book, the page in my book. I coached a guy named Tom Beckett. And Tom was a guy, he, he dropped out of high school uh, and was basically a bum. I mean, in and out of rehab, you know, he was basically just, just, you know, a kind of a, a drunk bum for you know, a better part over 10 years. And when Tom was 30, his kid, he, you know, he had a couple of kids. He was married and divorced again, rehab, all that. Uh, when he was, you know, twenties, when Tom was 30, his kids came to live with him and Tom said, you know what? I can't be a bum anymore. And he went on Amazon. Again, this is what happens when you put your mind to it. He went on Amazon and he bought a bunch of books on real estate investing and he started investing in real estate. Mm, yeah. And by the, by the time he came to me, he was already successful as a real estate investor. He was already successful. I, I had nothing to do with that part of it. And so we got on the phone and he's like, yeah, you know, I own 17 houses or whatever it is. You know, they're leveraged, but, you know, he's like, and we talked it through and he says, you know, I just want to do this and this. And he's like, I think I want to be a speaker and this and this and all this stuff. And you know, I, I just, I kept drilling into him. I'm like, Tom, you know, what do you, who are you trying to impress? Like, what do you, and, and finally, you know, just through his own being honest with himself. Again, I pushed him to it, but, but he had to, to do it. He had to be willing to be honest with himself. You know, he, he did some things. Like I remember there was one call where we got, you know, we got on the call and I said, so what'd you do this week? And he said, I called my mother. Mm. And I said, yeah. And he says, I don't call my mother. And he said, you know, I, I, I haven't really even had a good relationship with her. You know my background. He said, but, but I called her and I talked. And, you know, we talked for several hours just about the man I'd become and, you know, the mistakes I'd made. And, and 
you know, our relationship. And he said it was amazing. He said, you know, this was a relationship which was strange for so many years and it's back. These are the kinds of things when, when, when someone's willing to be on. You know, Tom was on and he faced these things, right? There was no magic. There was no secret. The law of attraction. The universe is going to restore his relationship with his mother. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No. You know, Tom was honest with himself. And he drilled down and he looked at, you know, and we talked about, Tom, who are you trying to impress? I said, Tom, if you don't impress anyone in the world except your kids... I said, if your kids look up to you and they're like, Tom, you know, we're, Dad, we're proud of you. Do you really care if you're impressing other people in the world? No. And he said, no. I said, so why are you trying to be a motivational speaker? No, I was guilty. I thought I was going to be a motivational speaker too. You know, I don't want to be a hypocrite. But, you know, this is, this is the, the being honest with yourself. And the world is just not honest. The world, you look around, it's everybody looking for shortcuts, everybody misrepresenting themselves, you know, everybody writing blog posts that, that's frankly just BS you know, about how they're grabbing the, the brass ring when they're, it's just, you know, and it's like, look, you know, be honest with yourself. So, uh, anyway, I went off on a huge tangent. I enjoyed it for a while. It was very satisfying when someone like Tom Beckett, when you saw their life change, when you saw them become happier with themselves. Um, but for every Tom Beckett, there were, you know, 20 people who just continued to tell themselves lies. And they're, and it's not intentional. This is just, you know, they... I think it's our psyche. Yeah, our psyche tells us, allows us to lie to ourselves. And and before you know it, 10 years, I think Bob Seger might even have said it best, right? He's like, 20 years, not where to go. And he probably lied to himself yeah. for a number of years. And that's what we do to ourselves. We get in these, these modes where we think we have to uh, keep up with the Joneses or drive a certain car or lead a certain company or exit a certain way and save face or whatever it might be for, for whomever. And some of those yeah. were just, you know, startup kind of related examples, but it happens in everyday life. You know, you think you have to get a certain promotion and wear a certain tie to, to work because you're going to impress sure. the boss. Sure. And it even happens with entrepreneurs, right? I, I was in New York visiting a friend of mine last year and he tells me, he says, Oh, I met this kid. It wasn't a kid. The, the quote unquote kid was the same age as my friend. He was like 26 or 27. He said, I met this kid. He wants career advice. He says, come with me. You're better, you're better than me at this anyway. So we go and we meet this guy in the park and he said, and then the guy's working at a hedge fund and he's like, Oh, I don't know. I want to, I want to you know, get into entrepreneurship. And I said, what's your passion? I said, what's your passion? Which I know is a loaded question, but I said, what's your passion? And he said, my dream is to build a company that I can exit for $100 million. Mm. I said, bull. I said, bull. When you were 11 years old, you were not sitting there going, my dream is to build, build Foursquare. <laughs> I, said, you're looking, I said, you're looking at the technology entrepreneur world the way I said, I said, do you have a, I said, do you have any friends who have hot girlfriends? And he said, yeah. I said, you ever look at the girlfriend and you think, man, you know what? If I could get a girl like that, my life would be complete. And he says, yeah. I said, you don't know anything about that girl. You don't know what she's like Mm-mm. in private. You don't know how demanding she is. You don't know if the sex is good. You don't know anything about that girl. You're looking at her and from the outside, she's hot. And you're just thinking to yourself, if I could have a girl like that, my life would be perfect. So you're looking at technology entrepreneurship the exact same way. Well, you said earlier in the call that you hate uh, that you even hate using the word entrepreneur these days, and 
I know in a previous conversation we had prior to this call, you said being an entrepreneur is hard, it's painful, and you had a lot of clear, concise thoughts about what you do and don't like about the word entrepreneurship. Well, can you can you give us more examples of that? Well, I think it's been hijacked. Um, you know, it, it's not, you know, starting a company is hard. Um, you know, these days, I mean, what, what is even the metric of a company, right? I, I get the whole idea of, you know, get traction first. I understand, you know, sell it to Google. I understand all that stuff. I'm not stupid. But, you know, so many people run around and are they really starting businesses? Again, you know, how do I define an entrepreneur when I'm selecting for 50 Kings? Are you all in? And is there a product I can see? That doesn't seem to me like a very high barrier. Now, I tell people, I said, you know, getting into 50 Kings actually, strangely, is not is not a high barrier as much as it's a specific barrier. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't seem like such a high barrier to me to say, here's my website, it works, and this is all I do. Don't you know, fake this it. Is my job. Don't be a faker, right? you can probably get in. Yeah, don't be a faker. And you, you mentioned you mentioned you also mentioned uh, before it, it kind of even dovetailed into some of the stuff you talked about with self help and fear. And you said the real question: if I told you you can do, if I'd pay your rent, this is an example you gave me before, and it kind of dovetailed into the, to the entrepreneurship conversation we had before. You said if I told you I'd pay your rent, pay for your car, what would you do? And entrepreneurship these days, I think that people think that you have to build something. On the iPhone, like I saw the most recent, or at least caught a clip of it, the most recent episode of Whitney where her boyfriend was like thinking of a zillion different uh, ideas and he dressed like a geek and was going to a VC meeting. And I was like, is this what the world is promoting these days is entrepreneurship? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that is actually what the world is promoting. Um, you know, and, and I've mentioned TechCrunch a few times, I, you know, TechCrunch is uh you know it's a great it's a good great source for news it's it's not their fault that this has happened um but you know this community has sort of sprung up around TechCrunch that that they they look to it as the 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 source of of knowledge um of all knowledge not not you know of of this this is where everything lives you know and i grew up in san jose and i mentioned before i'm not technical but to me a tech company is intel a tech company is Cisco Systems, and you know I'll, I'll see people get cu- so caught up in the TechCrunch bubble. Again, it's not TechCrunch's fault; it's just the community that sprung up around it. But I'll see people get so caught up in the TechCrunch bubble that they'll say things like, "Does Silicon Valley innovate anymore? You know, it looks like everyone's just trying to build an iPhone app or a consumer internet." And I'll sit there and I'll say, "Silicon Valley internet's plenty." I said, "There's." You go into one lab at Intel, you, know, you go into the chip fab, you go into one lab at Cisco Systems, you're going to see a whole lot, you're going to see more technology in one lab than you'll see in all of San Francisco. Um, you know, so, yeah, it's, you get caught up in a certain community and all of a sudden you can't think out of that box anymore. And it's unfortunate. And that community is really good at, at self, I, I wrote a piece, um, published Washington Post website, uh, called Be- "Beware the." F- oh God, I'm going to get the title wrong. It was something like "Beware the Filter Bubble of Small Ideas," and I actually mentioned that the 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 social web 
So if you look at the early adopters of the social web, the early adopters of the social web are essentially friends of the people who invented the social web, you know, the, the extended friendship circles of the people who, who invented the social web or who currently build the social web. So, and, and what is the social web? The, well, the social web are various platforms used for self-promotion. So other industries don't have inherent self-promoting characteristics, right? So when, when people build, we'll just use Twitter, and I love Twitter, and I'm on Twitter every day. But you know, when, when they built Twitter, Twitter is, is inherently a self-promoting tool. A solar panel company is not an inherently self-promoting industry. No. You see, you see what I'm saying, or, or even Intel. You know, Intel is not an inherently self-promoting company, right? I mean, a, a microprocessor does not inherently self-promote itself. You know, whereas food spotting is an inherently self-promoting company, and so the entire social web is inherently self-promoting. And what's happened is because it is inherently self-promoting, that the rest of the world just sees the promotion right yeah. it just gets it, it generates its own noise right but but it becomes really insular you know the, the analogy i used in the piece i wrote is you know uh web entrepreneurs building these inherently self-promoting platforms is is the equivalent of tv producers producing reality shows about the lives of their friends right if, if it's like if I'm a TV producer and it's like, okay, I'm going to produce a reality show about TV producers. <laughs> How meta. But it is. Yeah. You see what I mean? So that's – and it's real easy to get caught up in drinking that Kool-Aid and thinking that's all there is. It's really easy to do that and – you know, all of a sudden, everybody has a landing page, not even an actual product, not even an actual social website, but you know, a landing page, and they call themselves an entrepreneur. Sorry, that doesn't cut it. Well, I got a launch rock uh, web page up. You mean I'm not an entrepreneur? <laughs> it's all over the place. You know, I'm I tell, telling people about what I'm going to do. You know, I tell people sometimes. Um, I, I don't even bring it up a lot. You know, I mention my varied background at the beginning of the call. And, and I don't, you know, it's it's what I do. It's I, you know, it's a life. It's been interesting. You know, it's, I've done a lot of stuff. And every now and then, I'll have to pull the card on someone. I'll say, I'll have to say to one of my friends, I'll say, look, I, I've been an entrepreneur longer and employed more people than ninety nine percent of the people that you know. Just because it wasn't on the web, doesn't like you don't get it, do you? Right. Right, and that's. And I heart, and I don't pull that card out a lot because it doesn't mean it's just my life, right? But before the call started, you know, we were talking about things that people promote, and I'm like, "What's to promote? It's my life, right?" I mean, right? Yeah, I mean, you humbly mentioned that you wrote a book. We didn't even get to mention the title, but it is on Amazon. It's it's modestly priced, which uh, I'm gonna have to pick it up. I would would have instantly bought it if it had been on Kindle. So excuse me for being a uh, text no snob, but. Uh, uh, I question it because now it's only in print, <laughs> which is so weird because I love reading things on uh, on a digital product these days because it's more consumable, I think. But 
Um, so you've written a book. I love Kindle too. I love Kindle too. Yeah, but I printed it. Yeah, I know. I, I just the instant buy and getting it then is. Uh, you know, instant gratification. I'm sure you can even rant on that if you want, but I mean, instant gratification these days is is a killer. I mean, people really want whatever they want right right now, and they knew about it two seconds ago, and if they can't have it, they're pissed. You know, because that's just an instant gratification world that we live in these days. And I think that you know, we we go back to what we're promoting as entrepreneurship, which is you know, inventing an iPhone app of some sort, or even you know, the next lame free app that's just you know, nothing, that's nothing. And people are calling themselves an entrepreneur. And that, it just drives me crazy that it's like that. Yeah. I mean, just to be, just to be clear, you know, I'm not, again, I live in a, in, in this technology world, you know, and I'm, you know, I mentioned some people earlier, I'm friends with these people. So, uh, you know, I, I, I rip on, you know, I'm not suggesting that the internet is lame or everyone who builds an app is lame, but I'm really just trying to get people to think that there's more to the world than an iPhone app. Well, you, you, know? you had said it before that you just hate hypocrisy. You hate misrepresentation. And I don't think, I think that's kind of your, what your stance is. It's not that you are against it. It's that you're against the misrepresentation of whom you are. Like right. if you are an entrepreneur or you are somebody who can give advice on exiting a company or selling a company, then be a person who truly can represent that kind of stance. Right. Right. I mean, you know, you, if you go to, and, and this, you know, this is a message to conference organizers, put people on stage who are ahead of people in the audience. Right. I right. mean, if you're going to put, if I'm going to sit in an audience and listen to someone on stage, well, that person on stage you know, should have sold their company to Google for a hundred million bucks. I'll listen to them. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to listen to the guy who, whose primary accomplishment is he raised money. Well, you know what? I've raised money in my lifetime too. It's not that big a deal. Right. And that's what you see a lot of times is, you know, some guy raised some money, has his company. You're not even sure if it's doing well or not, you know, but they, they, they manage, you know, yesterday, Mark Hendrickson is, is shutting, is leaving. He shut down plan cast. Yeah. And he wrote a great post. It was very honest. Um, I actually felt Mark Hendricks, you know, he covered the reasons and, you know, what they tried. It was a very honest post. But a week ago, if you'd have asked most people, they'd be like, oh, yeah, PlanCast, that's a big deal. When in reality, PlanCast shut down yesterday, yeah. right? And again, and again, kudos to Mark Hendrickson for being honest and, and writing a, 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 you know, a, a postmortem. But there's a lot of people out there who are running companies who – in reality, might look a lot more like PlanCast a month ago, you know, which obviously wasn't doing too well, but are presenting themselves like they're Larry and Sergey. <laughs> uh, so, so, I guess in closing, I'm not sure what else we can cover. I know there's a ton of stuff we didn't talk about, but uh, I know I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I think that uh, it, it's cool to to have a chance to chat with you through through some things and even hear the ways that uh, that you're changing the world, I guess, in a way that you're enabling people to meet people that uh, otherwise wouldn't have met before. You're doing some really fun stuff, and you're leading a life that, um, like it said, it, it's things you want to do, things you enjoy. You're not just working for the man. And that's kind of funny. It is an oxymoron. Uh, oxy, uh, <laughs> what is it, oxymoron? Uh, I can't remember the word for some reason. 
uh, oxymoron. That's, I, that's I, it. I you're right, because you're, you're the man on Twitter, right? That's that's so I am funny. I'm the man on Twitter. Is, I am at the man on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> that is funny. So, I mean, but you're you're living a life that is enjoyable, that you're having fun at. You're making some awesome connections, and we didn't even talk about like four or five other things that you're doing besides like you've written a book in the past, which may not be that big of a deal to you, but it's part of your past and who you are. It's part of your DNA. Um, you know, you're also a contributor and a writer to to many well-known online and offline publications, which I think is, you know, an accomplishment in and of itself. And you're a regular writer. You're not just a haphazard writer. And uh, you've written some some really good articles, I think, that are that are pretty cool. I think let's let's close on one of the titles that you and it'll kind of close up what we talked about with the events and stuff, too, which was uh, the title is Tech Community. Are we MTV or are we Ted? And so what it what Let's let's close with this. What did you mean by are we MTV or are we Ted? Well, I mean, you know, so many of the themes we've talked about on this call are related to that, but probably the the, the core message of that piece was, you know, and, and this goes to you know the hijacking of the word entrepreneur and everything else is, you know, the entrepreneurial community or the tech crunch community, not entrepreneurial, because again, that's too wide, but this community of you know iphone app builders and you know, you love to run around and and, and they're all we're innovators we cha- we're changing the world we're innovators we who you know you're not living unless you're changing the world and then you look at some of the stuff they're building and not just the iphone again not to you know my apologies to iphone app builders but you know you look at some of these websites products quote-unquote companies that they're building and they're not changing the world at all in any way, shape, or form. Now, maybe they'll make some money, and maybe you can sell it, and maybe you can make $10 million or $5 million or 20 or whatever number of dollars. And if you can make some money, great. I, I, you know, I don't fault you for that. But don't kid yourself that you're changing the world. And don't kid. Or one of the things is um, Davos is next week. And I remember, I, we'll, we'll see what it looks like this year on Twitter, but I remember like last year reading people's tweets and these are people who are not even entrepreneurs in a lot of cases. These are people who are social media wankers, you know, <laughs> sitting there going, I should be at Davos. Really? You're a social media wanker. Why should you be at Davos? You know, people sit here and convince, and remember what I was saying about being honest with yourself. People sit here and convince themselves that they're world changers, that they're, you know, oh, I should be at TED. I should be speaking at TED. Really? About what? About being a social media wanker, you know, and so, you know, people tell themselves these lies and they convince themselves, you know, I'm an innovator, I'm a world changer, I'm a game changer, I'm a difference maker. And then you look at their behavior and what they actually do with their lives, who they follow, who their heroes are, right? And, and their heroes are MTV heroes, right? They get excited when anybody famous from Hollywood shows up. Oh my God, there's so-and-so from TV, the Real Housewives of Orange County. Run over there, right? <laughs> are, they, are they excited when they meet someone who's built a real company? Are they excited when they meet, you know, I, I, he, maybe this sums it up, right? So there was a post on TechCrunch about a month ago, a company called Success Factors sold to SAP for $3.4 billion with a B dollars. And the post was this sarcastic. In today's most boring news, I don't even want to report it. A company called Success Factor sold to SAP. I don't know why anyone cares. Really? 
Well, $3.4 billion, how many people do those companies employ? Right? But nobody cares about that. Mm-mm. Whereas if someone said, you know, um, <clears throat> what I can't remember, you know, some company that Lady Gaga invested in launched two days ago. Everybody wants to be a part of that one. Well, I think it goes back to that uh, little clip from the Jay-Z song that's kind of popular right now. It says, nobody, no one knows what it means, but it's provocative. It gets the people going. And that's that's kind of what people follow or tend to follow as the shiny right. objects. The Which which is fine. I mean, you know, I, I, I read I read the, the, the entertainment gossip, but I also know that it's entertainment gossip. <laughs> you know, and I also know that, you know, I'm not, I don't belong at Davos. You know, and I also right. So it's it's just this this self delusion and and hypocrisy of you know oh we're game changers we're world changers oh I should be at that no you shouldn't you you read People magazine just like everybody else. Well, Francisco, it's uh, it's definitely been a pleasure having this chat with you. Um, you know, I, I think what you're doing is pretty awesome. I. We'll never make it to a 50 Kings, I don't think. So uh, kudos to you, though, for putting it on. It's an it's awesome little thing you're doing. But if people want to follow you on Twitter, should they follow you on Twitter? Absolutely, right? They can. They can. I mean, I tweet. Will they be entertained? They'll be entertained more than anything. <laughs> I tweet what's on my mind. I'm completely uncensored. Um, you know, I'll, I'll often tweet things like, you know, the guy on the treadmill next to me just ripped one and it really stinks in here. Um, How about uh, catching up with some of your articles? That, like you're a contributor at Washington Post and you've written at Inc. and a bunch of other things as well. What if they wanted to catch up with some of your articles? Where could they go? I mean, when I when I write, I certainly tweet them. So, okay. Uh, you know, so so if you follow me, you you will be, you will find me, you know, humor. Hopefully, you'll find me humorous and and perhaps a little annoying eighty percent of the time, and then and then uh, you know some some real value the other twenty percent of the time. So you're at the man on Twitter, and uh, fifty kings is fiftykings.com, and I, we we asked before how people get invited, but I guess if they send something to you at info at fiftykings.com, is that the best place to email you? Yeah, I mean. It, yeah, anybody can email me. Um, you know, I can't promise I'll reply. I, I mean, well, you know, if someone emails me and, and they're clearly not the right fit, um, I, I, I found it's easier to not reply because there's no reply. I mean, I could write the, the nicest, you know, I could write back, you know, hey, Joe Blow, you know, thank you for the email. You know, we're so happy you contacted us, but I'm not sure. It just it just goes downhill. There's there's nothing you can say right. that ever makes people feel better. So, um, but uh, you know, I have had people. Well, here here's a great example of someone who emailed me cold from the website, and the kind of person that you'll meet at Fifty Kings that that you might not meet at the lobby, for example, just because I do allow. Uh, you know, I do look for you know sort of different random people. As uh, before the Fifty Kings Pirate War in December. Um, I'd written a piece, published it, you know, there's my byline has a link to my website and, uh, the guy who runs radio and TV in Abu Dhabi emailed me, a guy named Kareem Sarkis. And he emailed me, he said, Hey, I read your piece and I saw this 50 Kings, you know, what's it about? I mean, this guy runs broadcast. He runs, I mean, Al Jazeera is Qatar. It's nah, a, a, basically big deal. the guy runs Al Jazeera, you know? And, yeah, it's a big deal. And um, and so, you know, we jumped on a Skype call and I said, this is what it is. And he ended up coming to the Pirate War 
He's an awesome guy. He's just a great guy. You know, the, the totally awesome, great addition to to the group. Uh, just wonderful person in general. And you know, we got to see this perspective of the guy who runs TV in Abu Dhabi. Um, you know, so and that's a guy who emailed me info at Fifty Kings. So, um, so yes, so I encourage it. At the same time, you know, think about who Kareem is. He runs radio and TV in Abu Dhabi. That's a pretty special guy. Right. <laughs> you know? so. yeah. It's almost like the same kind of, I mean, it's not exactly an exact um, example when we flip it around to Founders Talk, this podcast you're on, but that's kind of how I look at guests to come on here. Just because you're a founder doesn't get you an access pass to come on the show. It doesn't mean I have 50,000 people beating down my door to get on the show either, but the list is short, but it's concise, and it's people I really want to have a conversation with, like we've had today. And there's not a, you've got some rules that you apply, like even for example, if you got a call lined up with someone to come on uh, to come to Fifty Kings, you've got an eight minute rule where if they don't show up for the phone call, they say they're going to call you at no no access. But uh, you know, for me, when I look at people to come on the show, I think. Would it be a conversation I want to have? Would it be something that interests me? And that's more or less the barrier of entry, really. And I think that if I can enjoy the conversation and I actually want to produce the show, period, and put it on the internet for everybody to download and listen to, then that's like, you know, being a founder is, is like the, the first thing you have to be. I mean, you have to have done something. But uh, a good conversation is always part of it. Just telling me about your company would be pretty bland. If we just talked about what 50 Kings is only, if you weren't opinionated and you couldn't share some of your history and you couldn't um, you know, even say something like how you made choices in your life because you wanted to enjoy what you did. You, know, you left that day job that you got fired at or you got let go from or got laid off from. That's something that people cling to and people appreciate because they can take from your history and enjoy it. And that's what... I love about doing the show is that having that little bit of a velvet rope, but it's just enough to, to make the conversations uh, enjoyable and, and the content enjoyable for people to, to, to have fun with. I, I hope I was a good interview. So. Yeah, you were. Yeah. I, I rant sometimes too. And I, I'm sure that the people listening to the show know I do and I don't mean to, but sometimes I do. But so at, at the man on Twitter, 50 kings.com, everybody else, you know how to get a hold of them. If you, if you think you fit the bill, then then reach out to him, and he tweets his articles. So follow Francisco on the Twitter if you are uh, if you're man enough or if you're woman <laughs> enough. So um, uh, Francisco, anything else you want to say in closing? Anything else we got on our minds? Nope. I, I, if you feel you have enough, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I hope everybody enjoyed the show, and, and thanks for listening. And uh, Andrew, or not Andrew? Oh, geez, I, I don't know why I called you Andrew. I think Andrew was my last guest. That's why I said Andrew. I was thinking about. <laughs> closing but francisco it's it's definitely been a pleasure and thanks for coming on the show thank you thank you i want to thank the sponsors of today's show again less accounting at lessaccounting.com and flow at getflow.com really appreciate the support guys and thank you so much for sponsoring this show and if you're interested in sponsoring the show go to 5x5.tv slash advertise and hit us up with an email or even email me directly which is just as well at adam at founderstalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.